0: Church we are so glad to have you here today if you grab your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 16 last week we talked about developing a theology of play and we said that the joy of the Lord will be our strength and this week we're gonna be talking about developing a theology of church And so I'm gonna read you out of Romans chapter 16, the close of the letter from the Apostle Paul. And initially, I'm just, this is kind of a spoiler alert. Initially, you're gonna go, what in the world is this? Why is this in the Bible? But I want you to hear the word of the Lord out of Romans 16, it's a big list of names. I'll read it and I'll pray and we'll jump in. Here's what Paul says. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, and she's a deacon of the church in Centrea, which is in Greece. I ask you to receive Phoebe and the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Paul says, she's paying my bills. This woman, Phoebe, who's the leader of the church in Greece, she's, she's taking care of me and she's taking care of many. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my coworkers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. And greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary. She worked really hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me, and they are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ Jesus before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord, and greet Urbanus, our coworker in Christ, and our dear friend Stachus and greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test, and greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus, if any of you are looking for children's names. Aristobulus <laughs> I commend it to you greet Herodian my fellow Jew and greet those in the household of Narcissus. he's sort of a big deal just ask him you'll get that on the way home some of you greet Triphena and Triphosa surely those are twin sisters those women who work hard in the Lord and greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who's worked very hard in the Lord. And he goes on, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who's been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus and Phlegon and Hermes and Petrobus and Hermas and all the other brothers and sisters with them. And greet Philologus and Julia and Narius and his sister and Olympus and all the Lord's people who are with them. And he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Do you hear the affection here? All the churches of Christ send greetings. This is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, what the heck, right? Let's pray. Lord, we need you, we need you, we need you. We need you, we need you, we need you. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, I must decrease that you might increase. I do not have enough. We do not have enough. And either you speak to us or you don't, and if you don't, we'll have wasted our time. But if you come and you speak to us, we'll all leave here having been changed. So we say, Lord, transform us by the power of the Spirit in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Romans chapter 16, developing a theology of church. We read this text. And we say, what in the world is this doing in the Bible? It's a list of names and, and what a strange text. And it sounds like a school roll call, you know, like Urbanus here, Philologus present, Tryphena and Trifosa, hey, hey, hey. They're, you know, they're playing there. Uh, Just all these great people in the room, we got Ampliatus and we got asyncritis. It sounds like a heart disease, honestly, like a side effect of COVID, Asyncritis, It's flared up, you know, like, but Paul is saying that these people matter and they've saved our lives and the church is something because of all of these saints. And he uses 29 different personal names of people that he knows and loves and trusts. And what is Paul doing here? I mean, we think like Paul, this is the letter to the Romans. This is the greatest theological letter that he writes. Like we're up at this towering theological vista and all of a sudden we crash down into the Valley of Names. Like, couldn't you have dropped the mic a little bit differently than that, Paul? It's at at a literary level, it feels anticlimactic, but Paul knows exactly what he's doing. By closing the book of Romans with a list of 29 names, what he's doing is he's introducing them to one another. He's building affection between the saints. I heard an old Southern preacher, Dr. Fred Craddock, he was a a preacher and a seminarian, a great professor, and he preached through this text. And I heard him read through this and he said, don't you call this a list. You think this is 29 names, a roll call, a list of names, don't you call this a list. Paul says, Phoebe, I commend to you our dear sister Phoebe, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. Paul is in prison writing this letter and he's writing it to the Romans. And Phoebe is a leader in the church of Greece, Centraea, a southeastern port city in Greece. And he's writing this letter to the Romans who are around the, 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 the port of Greece and around the boot of Italy and on up. And she's leading over here. If she goes in a straight shot up to Rome, that's a 750 mile hike. A woman by herself in a patriarchal society. And Paul says, I know who needs to take the letter. There's nobody like Phoebe. And he takes the stylus and he scratches it out on the parchment paper and he somehow slides it through. Maybe he's sliding it through the window of the prison wall. And he says, Phoebe, get this to the Romans. And she goes on a journey by boat, likely around Greece and around the boot of Italy and up to Rome. There's something about this Phoebe woman. She's the benefactor. She's paying Paul's bills. He trusts her and she's a leader in the church of Greece. Like, talk to me about women can't be in ministry. Get that out of my face. <laughs> Paul says, Phoebe's like, she's a legend. She's the one doing the work. You trust her and you you respond to her because this is a woman of God. Don't call it a list. Priscilla and Aquila. It's interesting to me that Paul, four out of six times that he mentions this married couple, he mentions Priscilla, the woman first, which was unheard of in this society. You don't mention the woman first. It's always the man and then the woman. But four out of six mentions in the New Testament, Paul says, Priscilla... And Aquila, she's the one helping lead in the ministry and they risked their lives for me and all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. What happened in Acts chapter seven is Paul, who's writing this letter, was the artist formerly known as Saul. Anyone remember, you know, the artist formerly known as Saul? And he, he, was, he thought he was serving God by killing Christians. And Acts chapter seven is the first Christian martyr, Stephen. They drag him outside of the city gates and they said, you're saying Jesus Christ is Lord? No, he's not. And they laid their coats at the feet of the man named Saul. And Saul was a part of a murder that day. Stephen gives his life unto Jesus, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing as he's drawing his last breath. And in Acts chapter 9, you turn the page, and there's Jesus knocking Saul off of his horse and blinding him and changing his name from Saul to Paul. And Paul rises up and begins to go throughout Asia Minor and the known world saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. But you know what was something that hadn't been addressed? Paul was a converted barroom brawler. The guy had a a temper, he was violent, he was angry, he would get flushed in the face really fast and he'd walk into a town and this actually happens in Acts chapter 16 where he goes into a town proclaiming Jesus as Lord and they kick him out and Paul gets ticked. And you know what happens is Priscilla and Aquila walk alongside this young buck who's got a temper and they say, Hey, come with us. And they take him to Corinth and he lives with them for 18 months. And in 18 months, Priscilla and Aquila disciple Paul into being a follower of Jesus, they teach him how to live. And Paul says, they have saved my life. They've been my people. And, 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 and so I'll just say with Fred Craddock, don't you call this a list. This isn't a list. This is Phoebe. This is Priscilla and Aquila. My dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia, please pay attention to this. Paul was not a mass evangelist working with crowds. Paul was someone who understood people and he kept in touch with people. And he remembers that Epinetus, this man who's named Epinetus, was the first convert to Christ in Asia. And Jesus said, You'll go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost bounds of the earth. And here they are in the uttermost bounds of the earth and one night when Paul was preaching Jesus Christ as Lord Epinetus walks down to the front and says I want to give my life to him don't you call this a list this is Phoebe this is Priscilla and Aquila this is Epinetus, and he says greet Andronicus and Junia my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me Junia is a woman She loves Jesus so much that she says, I don't care what it costs me. Jesus carried a cross and, and look, Paul's in prison. If it means my life, it means my life. Jesus Christ is Lord. And he says, there's Andronicus and Junia, and they were following Jesus before I was. Paul bows his knee and he pays homage and he says, Jesus Christ is Lord. And these people were in line first. And I'm Johnny come lately. And when you see Andronicus and Junia, you defer to them because they're outstanding among the apostles. And I'll just say today, Paul is saying to us, don't call this a list. These people have been my lifeline. These people have carried me through. This week, we're talking about developing a theology of church. And some of you might be saying, Daniel, why are you reading us Romans 16 to teach us about developing a theology of church? And I'll just say that we live in a society that adores crowds, but Paul wants us to fall in love with the congregation. You can pack out mile high. I don't even know what they're calling it today. They keep selling it and, and new names and all this stuff. But up in Denver where the Broncos play, that big stadium, 80,000, you can pack that out with U2 and you can pack that out with Coldplay and you can pack that out with Dua Lipa and you can pack that out with Luke Combs. But, but, but we love crowds. But what happens is at those concerts, you get in your truck and you drive away from all those crazy people and you don't have to deal with them ever again. But you come into a congregation and someone sits in your seat and you go, I've been here for 22 years. I paid for that seat. No, you didn't. Right? And then we got to forgive people and we got to look people in the eyes and we got to say, I'm sorry. And we've got to go to meals with people and we've got to pray with people and we've got to help people in their walking through the valley of the shadow of death. We, we live in a society that is okay with the crowd, but we don't much want to trifle with a congregation. Why? Because it costs us something. But Paul says the only way to make it through is to fall in love with the congregation. He's trying to make a people out of all these names. I remember the congregation that I grew up in in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I remember Miss Ulamay Bodenstein. She lived to be about, I think, 92 years old. She must have been three feet, eight inches tall. White haired saint of a woman of God who was the church secretary who she she did everything. She ran all over the place. She answered the phone. She kept the calendar tight and she had a candy drawer. And I would go into Miss Ulame's office in the top right drawer and I'd open that thing up and there's candy there for me. And I'd reach in and I'd grab it and she'd kiss me on the cheek and say, I love you, honey. Bless you, man of God. She had this little southern drawl, Miss Ulame, right? Ulame. If you're looking for any kids' names, I commend to you, you May, Bill and Florence Wells, and Mike and Annette Smith singing in the choir, and Jim and Pam King. I don't have any memories without Jim and Pam King showing me what it looked like to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Tom and Susan Newman, and Mark and Linda Turner, and Terry and Julie Fisher, and Rick and Shelley Fenimore, and Rick and Teresa Klein. I could go on and on and on. I was thinking this week about Mr. Artis and Miss Ethel Lucille Himes. I'll show you. I found an old picture of them. Mr. Artis is uh, right there in the middle. He would pick us up early in the morning, me and my dad, and take us bass fishing with his son, Artis Jr. and, And we'd go fish. And he had this laugh that when he laughed, his whole body would shake. The whole vehicle would shake when Artis laughed. And just this bellowing laughter. But then when he wanted to pray, it was like the heavens opened and the angels ascended and descended. And he wrapped his hands. Bill, you grew up in Tulsa, like we were running the same streets together. And this man, he'd lay hands on me and wrap his hands around my little head. And he'd say, Father, in the name of Jesus. And you'd feel it shake in your soul. And he'd speak the anointing of God on me. And he'd say, raise this man up to serve the church. And God, I pray blessing and favor. And when artists prayed, the whole world stopped. Friends, don't call it a list <laughs> it's artists Ethel Himes. it's it's the fishers it's the newmans it's the kings it's the people who made me a saint i'm not i'm not a follower of jesus without these people and paul says let me tell you who made me a follower of jesus let me introduce you to the church it's interesting to me that paul's most theological letter is also his most personal letter which is to say that you don't get the life of God and the salvation of God and the kingdom of God apart from the people of God. But sadly, in the time in which we live, the stats indicate that the church is kind of on the decline among people that live in the First World West, all across Europe, all across the United States of America, where there's, where there's a strong and robust and healthy economy, where there's a good, uh, a good wage, you, you see that the, the trend is that people are walking away from Jesus, and why is that? We've gotta ask ourselves the question, why is that? And, and one of the greatest Old Testament scholars of our day, he's, he's about, I think he's 87 now, Walter Brueggemann, He has studied all of the texts throughout the Old Testament, reads Hebrew fluently, he's a genius scholar, and he wanted to know what was the common thread between when the people of Israel uh, were serving the Lord but then walked away from him. At the times when they walked away, what happened? What was the common thread? And he studied all of the texts when the people of God walked away, and what he says is it was when they got rich. He said, affluence causes spiritual amnesia. You forget, you all of a sudden think you don't need the Lord. Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, and we want that to be a metaphor. <laughs> oh, that's precious. It's poetic. It's beautiful. Give us this day. But there are people all across the world who pray, give us this day our daily bread, and they mean it literally. <laughs> and Brueggemann says it's, it's when we come into these moments, like Deuteronomy chapter 8, what does Moses say to the people of God? He says... When you have houses that you build and when your cisterns are overflowing and when your barns are overflowing and when your crops are bursting and when your herds are growing, all of that is good. And God wants you to be blessed. But when that happens, remember that it was the Lord, your God who gave you the power to get wealth, remember, (laughs) remember why, why does he say remember? This is one of Moses's favorite words in the old Testament. Remember, 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 remember. Why would he say that? Because we forget. When life is working and, and, and God wants us to be blessed, Genesis 12, Abraham, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing and through your offspring, I will bless all the nations of the earth and Abraham prospered and I want your businesses to prosper and I want you to be able to hire more people and I want you to be able to fund your 401k and I want you to be able to enjoy time with your family. But remember when that happens, it was the Lord your God who gave you the power to get wealth. Do not forget. And the the church of the global south, the church in the first world west is on the decline, but you know where the church is thriving? The church is thriving in the global south. The church is thriving in sub-Saharan Africa. The church is thriving in Iran. The fastest growing church in the world is Iran. Iran. The underground church in Iran, and and I've seen pictures of them baptizing hundreds of people in a pool, and they knew going to that pool that it might cost them their lives, but they said, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. And the church in underground China is exploding. The church in Afghanistan is exploding. Why? Because these people know that they need God, and they need each other. Friends, let's not let affluence lead us into amnesia. Our affluence, the reality is, is it cannot protect us from these eruptive moments of life that sneak up on all of us. Think about Steve Jobs. Could do anything. Greatest medical care on the planet. Nothing was outside of his reach, and it could not stop him from dying. There are moments when life meets all of us, and it's in in these moments of unexpected crisis where we discover what we really have. And The church of Jesus Christ on planet earth right here. This is the group of people that can help carry us forward. And Paul wants us to know each other. So here, I want to put four things in front of you today. It's often in these moments where we discover what we really have and church is this great gift that God gives us. So what does the Bible instruct us to do about church? I'm going to say four things. I'll tell you a story. We'll receive communion. We'll go eat number one. First thing about church that the Bible instructs us to do is to come. I'm going to get as elemental and elementary, and I'm going to put the cookies on the bottom shelf right here, right here, like come to church. I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord, Psalm 122. And the saints, I I said it last week, but I was at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem three weeks ago now, and and there were thousands of people there, and there were young children in suits with the little curly hair coming over their ears and their yarmulkes on, and they were dancing and singing and shouting, and they were gathering around a table with the Torah on it, and some old sage with this long white beard with his black suit on and his big black hat, he was reading them Torah, Shema Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You should love the Lord, your God with all your heart. And then they'd break out in song. And then there were old men locking arms, dancing in circles around the Torah. And it was festive and fun and saints. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Some of you go, you're a pastor. You have to be here. It's job security. I don't come to church because I'm a pastor. I come to church because I'm a Christian. Because my parents raised me that there's nothing like the assembling together of the saints. And these are the people who will carry you through the valley of the shadow of death. And these are the people who will lay hands on you and pray life over you like Artisan Ethel Himes, And these are the people who will celebrate with you when you get your full ride scholarship. And these are the people who will weep with you when you're sitting on the front row at a funeral you never wanted to be at. Friends, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. On Sundays when I come in and on Fridays, I am at the end of my energy. It's the end of the week. I have nothing left. I'm depleted very often. And most of the time when I come into church, I'm, I'm a little bit chippy and I'm a little bit tired and I don't always want to be here, but about five minutes in, When we're singing, all of my help comes from you, God. All of my help comes from you, God. All of my help comes from you, God. And I'm looking across the room and I see you lifting your hands and I throw up my hands and I see you falling on your knees and I fall on my knees and I see you wiping your tears. And about five minutes in, I'm a different human being. Why? Because when we come into the presence of the Lord, when the collective saints come together, there's something that shifts in the atmosphere and we walk in one way and we walk out a different way. Saints, I was glad when they said, Let's go to church. So come to church. The second thing I want you to know that the Bible says about church and that we're calling you to afresh today is to connect. The job is not to come in here anonymously and to put your head down and to put your blinders on and to worship the Lord in privacy and to hear a word in individualism and to go out and apply it to your own life. The church is not me, 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 my, 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 I, 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 I. Church is you, 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 us, 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 we, 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 we. Church is the saints. So I need you to know each other. When you come in, this is why we have section communities. Each section is broken up and we do a meal once a month and we want, you to know each other. And I've heard stories just this last week of our section communities caring for people who unexpectedly lost loved ones and caring for people who don't have enough food in their refrigerator this week and stepping up, just being the people of God. Why? Because they've fallen in love with each other because they know each other's names. Like Paul knows the name of Epinetus, and like Paul knows Junia and Andronicus and like Paul knows Phoebe and like Paul knows Priscilla and Aquila. He wants us to know each other's names. So when you come to church, we're not inviting you to a private spiritual experience with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We're inviting you into the house of the Lord where the people of God need help. Come to church connected church. The third thing is we're inviting you to contribute. To put all your chips on the table with Jesus and with these people around you. A lot of times, I'll just say the church globally, the capital C church, we have had many opportunities where we've given people the opportunity to be cynical about us. We have not always been clean. We have not always been right. We have not always been above board. I'm talking globally, right? You read the front page and usually only the bad news shows up. They're not telling the million good stories. They're telling the one really bad but we've given them plenty of reason to be cynical about us. And I think when pastors stand up and talk about contributing about tithes and offerings, and we invite you to give a lot of times, there's a little bit of a malaise of cynicism that comes over. So I understand it, but I'll tell you why we do this. It's not because we get a kickback. We don't get a kickback. We're not trying to drive ties and offerings because it benefit. That's not at all what's going on here. Why do we want you to contribute? Because I heard a story this week. I called a single mom on Monday, fourth of July. We were having a little party at our place and I said, Hey, would you come out? And she said, I would love to, but I'm not able. And I heard something tucked into, but I'm not able. And I pressed in just a little bit because I know her and I love her and she knows me and loves me. And I said, you're not able. Tell me why. And through shame, she said, Daniel, I don't have any gas in my can, in my tank and I get paid on Thursday. It's Monday. I have enough gas to drive to the gas station on Thursday. And when I get paid, I'll refill it. I would love to come, but I can't. And I said, you're coming. And we got her a hundred dollar gift card. You, the church, you got her a hundred dollar gift card, because that's absolutely what we do when we see needs and you filled up her tank and we discovered the need and we're going to follow up with more systematic and, and, and uh, just overarching help so that she can have what she needs. And she came to that party that night and she celebrated and she had brisket with us and people were surrounding her. We're praying and it was a brilliant time, but she's not going to go without gas in her tank. If new life church has anything to say about it. This is why I ask you to come and to contribute because we have, we have parents who are getting priced out of their apartments in this market. We've got people who don't have any medical care and we want to take care of them. We've got people whose pantries and refrigerators are empty. We have kids during the school year who are deciding if they can have one meal today or two and parents trying to stretch that out. And in Jesus name, new life church says no to all of that. So when I stand up here or when any of us do and we say, church, we invite you to give, it's not because we're trying to buy gold-plated Bibles. It's because we know that there are needs all over this congregation and all over the city, and Jesus has called us to step into them. So come to church and connect with your people and contribute and forth. And finally, we're asking you to care. We're asking you to feel it. We're asking for you to invite the Spirit to break your heart for all the things that break God's heart. You know, you can give. You can write a check without necessarily caring, without stepping into the pain, without knowing the names. You can write a check from a distance, and that's okay, but it's not yet enough. The next move is to move into caring and letting your heart being over, be overtaken by the love of God for these people. And I wanted to read you a list of all the care ministries we have here at this church. I'll just read you a few of them to let you know how serious we are about this. We've got abortion care groups. In the last two weeks, I've heard from two women who've experienced this. And stats say that one in every four women have experienced this. We're not gonna be a church that raises our nose to that. We're gonna say, oh, God bless you in Jesus' name. Come in here and be restored and we love you. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can you say amen, church? We're gonna care about that stuff. We've got drug addiction groups and and kids that are experiencing this and families that are being ravaged by it, miscarriage and pregnancy loss groups and suicide groups, people who are contemplating it and people whose families have been wounded by it. Infertility groups and elderly care groups and children with cancer groups and marriage and blended family groups and childhood abuse groups and eating disorder groups and codependency groups and financial coaching groups. We have a care corner right out in the lobby every Sunday. If you have any of these needs, please come see us and let us help take care of you church. We are not just gathering to hear the word of the Lord. We're gathering to be the people of God, to bind up each other's wounds. And so we invite you today to come to church. We invite you today to connect, to contribute and finally to care. And here's the final story. Year and a half ago, my parents-in-law in in Tulsa, Oklahoma called us. My father-in-law, Larry was having chest pain, 72 years old. they have been married 53 years, beautiful couple, Larry and Linda Wakely. I couldn't have asked for better in-laws. Larry went into the doctor that day and they ran some tests and they said, We think you'll be fine for the weekend. Why don't you come back on Monday and we'll do a stress test? So Larry went on a two day fishing trip. He came back to the hospital on Monday and they put him on a treadmill and hooked him up, all the machines. He starts going five minutes in, then they increase the, the speed, they increase the vertical climb. He's going, they increase the vertical climb, they increase the speed. And Larry dies, hits the floor. Code. Machines are screaming, people are screaming, techs are running, nurses are running, doctors come running down the hall. My mother-in-law, Linda, is in the room right next door. She hears all of it and she immediately bows her head. About three minutes later, the chaplain walks in with tears in his eyes and she said, it's Larry, isn't it? He said, it's Larry, we should pray. Linda calls Lisa and me. It's a Monday, my day off. I'm in my study with Lisa. And she says, your dad coded. We need you to pray. Lisa collapsed on the floor. I collapsed on the floor. We start praying in spirit. Oh, Lord. The nurses and the techs, the doctors, they're trying to shock him back. Clear, For all of you doctors, I'm looking at my cardiologist right here in the back of the room. I I love you, Dr. Cole. For all of you nurses and, and technicians who see these moments happen and you rush into the adrenaline, God's grace and blessing and peace over you. Can we say amen today for all who care? They're trying to get him back. They put him on a gurney. They put him in an ambulance to take him to the premier cardiac hospital across town in Tulsa. And they finally shock him back. They get his heart beating. But they said, we don't know what happened to his brain. If oxygen was cut off, he could be brain dead the rest of his life. We have no idea. They sedate him, intubate him. They take him into open heart surgery two days later. Three weeks later, he's out mowing his front yard. By the mercy of God, we got an extension and we thank God for it every day. But you know what happened when we collapsed on the floor in my study? Lisa stayed there after five minutes, Crying and wailing and I got up and booked two flights on Southwest.com two hours later out of Denver And we raced up to Denver and we realized our kids are in school. We haven't done anything So Lisa is texting while I'm speeding up I-25 to Denver and she sends a text to six or seven of our family friends Here in the church and she says this is what happened to my dad We're racing to the airport our kids are yours And they responded right away to a person, we've got it, we'll create a separate text thread, don't think another thing about us, we're praying. And they went to school that day and they picked up our kids and they went to our home later and they got their clothes for the week and they fed them all week and they spent their money taking them to the arcade because they knew that they were grieving what was going on with their pops and so we're going to go play and we're going to eat ice cream and we're going to go to the pool and we're going to celebrate we're going to try to find a way to lighten the load and your parents aren't going to do anything for you this week because we are the church friends I don't know what people do when the bottom falls out and they don't have life among the people of God. I called my father-in-law on t- Thursday and my mother-in-law. And I said, Larry, I'm about to preach on Friday and Sunday and here's what I'm preaching on. And I had this story in mind to tell your story, but I know that's super tender and I wouldn't even want to borrow that story if that would be painful to you or if that would cause you. And he said, Daniel, he said, Daniel. And then he started sobbing. My six foot five, two seventy, bald-headed, gray goateed father-in-law doesn't cry. He started sobbing. And he said, You tell him that story and you tell it strong. Because they didn't just help you, they helped us and you tell them when they live as the people of god as the church it doesn't just help the church it helps the city and it helps the world and there's a ripple effect to your generosity and there's a ripple effect to the way that your love goes for one another friends you're not just taking care of each other you're somehow participating in the healing of the world can you say amen today church so today reading all the names in Romans 16, I invite you to come to church. Just be here. If you're not on vacation, Be here. I invite you to connect with each other, to learn each other's names, to go to meals together, to go into each other's homes, to help each other raise children, connect with one another, to contribute, to open up your heart and to open up your pocketbook and to put all your chips on the table with Jesus and with his people. And I finally invite you to care. And as your heart does open up, we will see the kingdom of God come and the will of God be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Church, would you stand with me today? We're gonna sing this song here, Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus be the center of the church. So let's worship Jesus right now and in just a couple minutes, I'll come back and we'll receive communion together. Let's sing Jesus at the center of it all. Oh,
1: Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center matters. Enough. Can we just sing this like a family? Jesus be the center. And Jesus be the center of your church. Come on. Jesus be the center of
2: your church. Oh.
1: My God. Shall confess you, Jesus. There's only one name that we call Jesus. one. So Jesus, be the center of your church. Jesus, be the center of your church.
2: Every knee.
0: communion elements ready to receive if you don't have them one you can raise your hand we've got ushers in the aisles that can help you if you need one the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed he took bread and he broke it you know how he started the Last Supper we immediately raced to the meal But do you know how the Last Supper started? It started in John chapter 13. Jesus, who is the Son of the living God made flesh, who's seated at the place of royalty at the table. He gets up from the table and he takes off his robe, which is to signify humility. He takes off his royal robe and he gets on his knees and he wraps a towel around his waist and gets a bowl of water and he washes their nasty feet. Who is a God like this? (laughs) He could have had everyone serving him. He could have been reclined at the table, doing his thing, letting the room revolve around him. Jesus gets up and he washes their feet, which was the most undignified thing you could do in the ancient world. They wouldn't even make servants in a household wash the master's feet. And yet Jesus washes their feet and he gets up from the floor And he says as i have done for you so i am commissioning you to do this for the world go and do likewise friends as we come to the table of the lord today we see what god is like this is the god who cares this is the god who connects this is the god who contributes this is the god who keeps coming after us and he now makes us that kind of church so today we take this bread and jesus said this Is my body which is broken for you and as often as you do this you remember remember this moment remember what i'm like remember what i've called you to church you may receive the bread today on the same night he took the cup of wine and he said this cup is the new covenant given in my blood and it's given for the remission of your sins. Church, today I say to you, you are clean, you are clean, you are clean, you are clean, you You have been forgiven, you've been washed in the blood of Jesus. There's no condemnation for you. Jesus is not mad at you. God is for you today, church. So you may receive the cup of forgiveness. Let's call on his name, call on the name of Jesus.
1: It's all about
2: you. Yes, it's all about you. From my
0: one more song I grew up singing when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul so what I want us to do is sing this chorus a few times and then we'll hop into verse 3 and then we'll take it to the house let's sing it is well with my soul and it is Church, will you open your hands today to receive the benediction? Moses told Aaron and all the priests to pray this over the people of God as they were leaving the synagogue, the temple, the tabernacle, wherever they were worshiping. And he said, when you do this, you're putting the name of God on their head. (laughs) Today, the name of God is being stamped on your head afresh and on your heart. So I pray may the Lord our God bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his bright smiling countenance upon you and all of your people, including the people that you're worried about. (laughs) And I pray that the Lord would be gracious to you and grant you and your people peace today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Can we give God thanks for what he's done here today? what a time can we thank this unbelievable worship team tracy derek thank you for joining us today i want to invite the prayer team to come down if you have any prayer needs we'd love to agree with you if you need care from the groups that i mentioned go out to the care corner and connect central go from here today in god's grace and peace much love